Welcome to the Clifford Chance Careers Podcast and our Celebrating Culture Series, which is led by REACH, our Race Affinity Network, and recognises the cultures that make us who we are and that shape the diversity of voices here at Clifford Chance. My name is Eben Shayinka, and I'm the Global Marketing and Employer Brand Specialist. I have the pleasure of being joined here today by Associate Esther Pion and Client and Market Development Associate Manager Nina Leader. This episode is part of our global celebration throughout the month of March in honour of International Women's Day. The theme for this year's International Women's Day is Choose to Challenge, and our offices across the world have pledged our support towards this. I'm pleased to be joined here today by two women who can share some of the ways that their cultures, identities and experiences as women and women of colour in different parts of the world intertwine and combine to make them who they are and shape both how they experience the world and how the world in turn experiences them. Thank you both for joining me today. I wanted to start by asking, why do you think International Women's Day is important? Esther, can we start with you? Yeah, sure. Um, So thinking about this, and like any other day that we uh, pause or stop to commemorate each year, I think International Women's Day is important because uh, for two reasons, it raises awareness about women who have come before us who sort of bravely challenge the status quo of their day, if you will, by advocating for their rights to work, to vote, to hold public office, um, to sort of accelerate gender parity in whatever spheres um, they were seeing injustice. Um, but it also raises awareness by celebrating the incredible accomplishments, I mean, those, those advocacy efforts included, um, and achievements of women, uh, not just in the past, but even in our present day. And I think it's great that we take some time aside uh, each year to really highlight and celebrate that. Absolutely. Could it agree more? Nina, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I would. I mean, I definitely echo what Esther said there. I mean, for me, one of the important facts about it is that it's both a clarion call, but it's also a celebration. So, I mean, you know, part of the importance of International Women's Day is the way that it's designed to acknowledge the many, many facets of womanhood and our position and our contribution to society. And it's not simply just about saying yay women or even boo men, which is what I think some of its detractors have, uh, mm. have suggested in the past. And it's, and it's often the reason that rhetorically embedded in the question, well, why do we have an International Women's Day? Um, but it's about acknowledging and highlighting and, and celebrating the contributions of women the world over in so many areas um, and in so many fields, whilst also acknowledging the continued disparity and inequality too often in those exact same fields. So every year on International Women's Day, I see so many posts and stories and read these experiences that I may never have otherwise ever had the opportunity to see. And and they educate me and they teach me and they they make me think and challenge my own notions of what's possible. And I get such a positive reinforcement from that. Um, But, you know, we also have to recognise that women have all too often made all these achievements in the face of great adversity. So it's also important for us to be reminded that our work isn't done. You know, we're far from achieving gender parity um, and in many cases even representation in many parts of our society and even less so for marginalised women. So, um, you know, one of the reasons it's important is that we need to keep that spotlight on and to keep banging the drum for continued change. Yeah, if I, if I can add to that, Nina, I, I totally agree. You said, you know, for women the world over, and I'm so 
glad that it's International Women's Day. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we see different levels of, you know, efforts to parity, um, depending on where you are in the world and which, you know, community you are part of and which societies you're part of. And um, I think that's so right. Like you might have your own, you know, local community where you are um, experiencing what you are experiencing and trying to strive for, um, you know, better gender parity, but there might be other things that are happening around the world that you just don't know about, even as a woman myself. Um, And I think having a day set aside where we're saying, you know, this really is International Women's Day. Um, Let's see what's happening with women all around the world. I think it's really important that we do that on a global basis and not just locally. Thank you both for those really, really impactful, powerful answers. Conversations like this are genuinely why I really enjoy podcasts, because there's so much nuance that could be had here that sometimes I think is missing from the broader conversation. And you touched us on some things that lead really nicely into the next question about different facets of our identities. And so I wanted to, to say, acknowledging that none of us are any one thing. And there are, of course, so many different aspects of our identities, which uniquely intersect and add layers to our various experiences of the world. I wanted to ask you both, what does intersectionality mean to you? And what are some of the ways that your ethnicity and gender intersect to shape your lived experience? This time, can we start with you, Nana? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, and not to patronise the current audience in this virtual room, um, but, you know, I think it is important that we ensure that we all clearly understand what is meant by intersectionality, you know, because rather than speaking to those who already understand it, we always have to think about addressing those who don't recognise it or aren't familiar with the term. So intersectionality is the framework that was first given a name by Kimberly Crenshaw, who's an American lawyer, law school professor, scholar and civil rights advocate in 1989, which is not that long ago, if you think about it. Um, and it helps us to understand how a person's various identities, be they social, cultural, ethnic, political or otherwise can create different modes of both privilege and discrimination. Um, You know, and examples of that obviously include gender and caste and race, sexuality, disability. Um, And these identities, these different hats that we all wear, they intersect and they overlap to create your own individual experience of navigating the world, but also how the world navigates around you. Um, And for me, I I can't remember where it was that I first heard the term intersectionality, but I have to say it was it was a literal light bulb moment because it was something that I'd been feeling for so many years and I I didn't have the language to put to it. Because even from a young age, I inherently knew and understood that my experiences through life were not going to be the same as some of my classmates at school, for example, because of my ethnicity. So. I went to a particularly high-achieving all-girls school in London with a really diverse socioeconomic mix of students and very high expectations. But I recognised that there were very different expectations for most of the girls of ethnicity than there were to some of our white counterparts. And we were often spoken to differently in identical circumstances and that the same behaviour from some students yielded very different reactions or results. And we were sometimes held to a different level of accountability. And as I said, I didn't have the language to understand the reasoning behind that. And to be honest with you, much of that understanding came many years later um, as to what the inequality was that I was experiencing or feeling that I didn't really know what it was. And then obviously, as I, as I got older, you know, it's things like in, in, in my dating life. I mean, goodness, I, I, I can remember that as a, as a black woman learning very, very quickly where my desirability sat in the pecking order 
and that's with men of all ethnicities and and studies have shown you know, by leading online dating sites that um you know black women tend to be the least selected um which is a damning indictment but but it's it's a it's a fact of life so that intersection of being a woman but also being um a black woman in, in certain worlds be it in my personal life or in my education um have been made patently obvious to me even if i haven't necessarily felt it um but as a woman now i find that in, the intersection is most obvious just in conversations with people from other backgrounds you know the way i i see and experience the world is completely foreign to some other women of my age group because not only have i seen it through a black woman's eyes but the world often behaves differently to me when they see a black woman so the conversations i have with my white female friends for example about women's rights often have a very different slant to it or a very, very different theme to it to the conversations that i may have with my black female friends and then again the conversations that i have with men in the black community about racial disparity speak to their different experience than mine as black men against black women so there isn't one homogenous experience that's unique to us all um but it it's also had a lot to do with with the environment that you live in and you exist so for example i lived in asia for a, a period and my lived experience there was very different to my lived experience in london and i didn't change but because the environment around me had changed i noted how differently i was sometimes perceived or treated um not just compared to the uk but also compared to my white counterparts in that environment and not wholly negatively i have to say um just differently so yeah the my my intersection of being black and female has changed over the years um but it's also changed depending on, on where i am thank you for an answer that has given i'm sure a lot of us a lot to think about and if i must say i really really relate to and resonate so strongly with some of what you've articulated um esther what are, what are your thoughts too on intersectionality and, and and what it means to your lived experience Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this question because Zena pointed out we're far from one dimensional and um, it's really important that we understand that individuals have so many facets of their identity that inform their experiences. And I love the way Nana put it, it's, it's not just the way you perceive the world, but also the way that the world perceives you. Um, and, you know, among other things that I would say define my core identity um, just to, to focus on ethnicity and gender specifically, you know, I'm a Korean American woman, um, born in New York City to immigrant parents. Um, and I share those details to point out that in my lived experience can't be explained by ethnicity and gender alone even, um, but also by time and, and place. Uh, Nana mentioned that she grew up with certain expectations on her. And, and that's interesting. You know, I was thinking about this for myself, and I grew up under huge expectations, um, I think in large part because I was who I was at the time I was living. Um, you know, I grew up under expectations placed on me by, you know, my so-called proverbial Korean village <laughs> that raised me in New York, um, defined by a generation of Korean Amer- immigrants who, um, you know, they really did sacrifice so much to give their children opportunities that they themselves did not have. Um, In my own personal experience, my parents' sacrifice, which I think, you know, was rooted in many ways in Korean culture, was one of love and hard work um, and a commitment to see their children live out their full potential. Um, 
and, and I was raised where they held the same exact expectations for me and for my brother. Uh, our gender was wholly irrelevant, which is interesting because I think, you know, historically, if you go back to Korean culture, that's not the case. Um, you know, boys were given more opportunities. They were expected to perhaps achieve more, um, whereas girls were, you know, maybe not. Um, but my parents, you know, they came to the States and they said, nope, you know, both of you are going to uh, do your best. We're going to give you opportunities. And um, we expect both of you to um, without your, your full potential. And, and I'm really grateful for this because I think it instilled a lot of confidence in me, even unbeknownst to me, uh, that that's what was happening uh, from a very young age. And, you know, I, I kind of semi-jokingly say this, but it might even be either my selective hearing or my selective memory from over the years, but I honestly don't really remember a time where I was seriously told that I could not do something because I was Asian or because I was a girl. I mean, maybe there was, but maybe I didn't let it get to me. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I faced my share of teasing growing up for the way <clears throat> I might have pronounced certain words or for the food that I brought to school. And, you know, sadly, I'm, I'm also all too aware and, and angered by the racist treatment that Asian Americans face on a regular basis uh, here in the United States, which I've personally witnessed time and time and again and, and, and experienced. Um, you know, I, I call out, especially recently, the, the rise in violence against Asians in the United States. So I'm well aware of those things. And I'm also uh, well aware that I probably do have to work and live every day against sort of the steady current of implicit biases that others may have against me based on my ethnicity and gender. Um, but, you know, I sort of owe it to the trailblazers who have fought to normalize an existence like mine, um, which I guess for our, you know, today's purposes for this podcast is to be a Korean American female attorney um, not having to explain why any one of those qualifiers needs overcoming to be accepted just as I am. I mean, I don't take that for granted by any means. Um, I was raised and surrounded by so many proud Korean American women uh, that I feel empowered to keep going, not just for myself, but for others like me. Um, and, and I mentioned place and a time earlier. It's strange to me now that while I've had to, I, you know, there was a time in the past where I had to point out on a map, literally, um, where the Korean Peninsula was, because most people had never heard of the country before. And now, you know, BTS, um, a band, I don't know if either of you know it, um, you know, is a, is a well-known entity in mainstream American pop culture, and people are now asking me for Korean food recipes. <laughs> so it's strange. We've come a long way, um, but we obviously still have yet a long way to go. So um, that's just sort of a way that I guess, uh, interne- intersectionality has informed uh, my lived experience. Thank you for sharing. I want to start by saying I'm sure everybody in the world knows who BTS are now. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Love BTS, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I just had to to, to say that. Um, but both of your answers really speak to how pervasive 
um, our identities are, you know, in whatever space that you're in, you know, all the time that you exist in. And I do think it's really interesting that when we have these kinds of conversations where we talk not just about race, but specifically about culture and identity, the role that parents and, you know, people that came before and the space that they've created always kind of comes into those conversations, which I find quite powerful. And I want to say just beautiful that that is sort of that we are carrying on, I suppose, you know, from, from where our, our, you know, our previous ancestors or parents got to. And I think that is something that really seems to motivate a, a lot of people, um, a lot of immigrants, um, or let's say recently immigrated people. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask actually is, have you ever felt that you've had to downplay any particular part of your identity? And if so, how did you overcome this and come to a realization that difference is a strength? Um, Esther, let's start with you this time. Yeah. That's an interesting question. You know, my gut response is that I don't feel like I've had to downplay any part of my identity. Certainly, I've been made aware um, that where I'm different, um, I'm different. But I've I've never felt ashamed about that. And I've never felt like I've had to um, sort of apologize for who I am. Uh, There are times, of course, where I don't find it necessary to call out um, maybe my Asian American <clears throat> heritage or uh, my my gender, but it's obvious I can't really hide it. So maybe I've, I've come to learn to live uh, in literally the skin uh, that I have and um, and sort of try to make the most of it. And again, like I said before, so many people have come before us with normalized. Um, a lot of who I am today to be, um, you know, a respected member of our society. Again, that's a huge generalization. And that's something that I've had the privilege of living in. Um, I know that's not the same experience for others who may be similarly situated um, as I am. Uh, But that's my, that's been my personal experience. That makes, you know, complete, complete sense that you've, I suppose, just live with who you are. Um, that makes complete sense. Nana, do you have similar thoughts? How would you answer that? Well, well, my experience um, is probably the other end of, of the spectrum. Um, I mean, I was I was raised in a white household with um, white parents and a white family. Um, and although I'm very connected to my black family, um, I have probably spent most of my life either consciously or subconsciously downplaying parts of my identity, if I'm completely honest. Um, And I think overcoming that came with ages experience for the most part, Um, but also things such as exposure and representation. And by that, I mean being able to see other women who looked like me, either in the media or as successes in their fields or within my organisations and places that I've worked. Um, And sort of speaking a little bit to what Esther said earlier about sort of never being told you could not by your parents. Um, I was never, similarly, I was never told I could not, but I found that I got to an age where I was being told by external forces that I could not or should not. Um, And I think I internalized that to some extent. Um, and, and I think my upbringing, again, probably didn't help with some of that internalization. So, as I said, the exposure and the representation in the outside world made, made a huge difference to me um, 
leaning into my identity and not feeling that I had to downplay parts of it. And also support. I mean, when you work in organizations where you feel you can be authentic, so once you've come to understand your own authentic self and how you move in the world, it's then about finding the spaces where you can carry that authenticity. And you can trust that in bringing those parts of yourself to your job, you won't be derided or sidelined for doing so. And it's the best feeling. Um, you know, from my experience of working in our Hong Kong office, I would, I would never have been able to even apply for that role had I not been comfortable in my own skin, knowing that I would be moving somewhere that I would obviously stand out, but that not only could being my most authentic self bring something positive and fresh to the role, but that I would also be supported by individuals within our organization in doing so. So that was hugely important to me. And, and in, in terms of realizing something can be, a, your difference can be a point of strength. You know, I, kn- I knew sort of moving to Hong Kong that I was going to be conspicuous. There's no two ways to put, it, put around that. And to say otherwise would be disingenuous. But I used that to work to my advantage. You know, I was, I was going to be memorable. I was going to be a visible black ambassador for the firm in an environment where there were not many others. And I was going to do so to the best of my ability. So sometimes your sheer presence in the room can challenge misconceptions and change minds and that's a huge point of strength I think. I particularly relate to what you said about the role of parents in helping their kids realize what they're capable of and knowing helping their kids know that that there's nothing that they can't achieve. It's a conversation that really requires a lot of nuance because on one hand I can absolutely, you know, I absolutely had a very similar experience. My parents obviously want the best for all their children and they really wanted us to thrive you know in our education and our careers and me and all my siblings were very academically inclined we did really well at school we were kind of nerds essentially is what I'm describing here we were kind of nerdy kids um but at the same time no matter how much your parents make you believe in yourself it's very important to to recognize that you cannot hard work your way out of certain obstacles based on where you're from who you are what you look like there are some things that counter as as somebody who is a minority group or is a woman or as a different sexuality or just a group that isn't historically you know in positions of power you know particularly represented you are going to encounter obstacles and it's very important that you know we 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 have we're clear about the fact that you cannot hard work your way out of some of those obstacles once you enter the wider world and there is nothing that your parents can teach you sometimes it can prepare you but it cannot eliminate those challenges that you're going to face. You only have to look at somebody like Serena Williams, for example, who is, without question, one of the best at what she does, you know, one of the greatest of all time, but she still is going to encounter obstacles as a result of both her gender, of her race, of where she's from, of of who she is in the public eye. Our parents and our families and, you know, our guardians and our communities play a really big role in helping us overcome challenges and helping us to be held back by them. But there is no amount of perfection that you can attain that is ever going to sufficiently and completely protect you from every obstacle that you'll face. And I find that quite empowering because in a way it means that we're all going to have to overcome some of these challenges. And perfection isn't necessarily something that, if it's not ever going to completely eliminate all challenges, we can just be satisfied with just being the best that we can be. But representation, including moments like this, 
go a long way to changing people's perceptions of what they're capable of and what difference means in the world and, and how great that can be when we you know, embrace it. And so the next question I wanted to ask in light of this year's theme for International Women's Day, which is Choose the Challenge, I wanted to discuss how the challenges that we face impact us because we all face them, no matter how hard we work, no matter how great we are at our jobs. So I wanted to ask you, how do you avoid feeling held back by challenges? Nina, let's start with you, please. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I, I actually found this a very difficult question um, to answer, to be honest, as I'm not actually sure that I have avoided it as such. Um, I, I think I, I, I really liked what, what Esther said about sort of being raised very similar to your brother. I think that that's, that can be hugely important to help in not being feeling held back um you know having that parity in the home to to know that you and your brother are always on an equal footing and for me personally i i i deal with anxiety most of my life and, and i have done since i was quite young so i also feel hugely overwhelmed by challenges and setbacks but when i look back on on some of the challenges i have faced what's familiar is that while i've i've often been overwhelmed or disheartened i've never felt held back as such um I'll find a new solution. So if path A isn't available, I've become very comfortable with looking to pivot towards path B or, or path C. If someone doesn't want me at their table, then I will find a table where I am wanted, or I will reach out to others and we'll build our own table. And a word that I use very often is recalibrate. My friends are very bored of me using that word, especially over the last year. And I think that ability to recalibrate, to adjust, to pivot and move into a space where you can progress and your voice can not only be heard but valued has it's been hugely helpful not only to my professional progress and my personal progress but also my mental health um and also having a good network so you need to have people or even just one person who can support you when you are dealing with challenges um and help you not feel held back by those challenges be they your parents in your upbringing or the social network that you build around you or professionally and and importantly i think they don't always have to inhabit the same intersections as yourself. Um, you just have to make sure they're good people. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's personality, part learned over time, but I like to consider myself what I call like an optimistic realist. Right? Maybe it's trying to have the best of both worlds. But, um, you know, in the face of a challenge, I try as often as I can to sort of frame my response positively. So I always ask the question, like, how can we overcome this challenge? It's not oh, what do I do now that, you know, I'm faced with this challenge and I, and I can't seem to overcome it. It's actually, no, how can we? Um, which sort of implies that there's a way um, and that rather than to dismiss the possibility of success outright, we can, we can face it head on. And I think this mindset um, didn't come from nowhere. I think, you know, as we've been discussing this entire podcast, um, there are people in our lives who have helped us along the way. And I think this, this mindset helps me fight against discouragement. Uh, and the realist in me helps me navigate the best course of action, which, which as Nina mentioned, often, you know, involves soliciting involvement and help of others. Um, I've mentioned already that I have a really great network of supportive family members and friends and colleagues who've helped me over the years to see challenges of opportunities. And, um, I also try to remember that I might not be the only one facing a particular challenge. Uh, and I try to remember that and, and, and remember it's not just me and my own bubble and, and trying to fight my own battles, although sometimes there are things that are um, specific to me. But 
Um, but when you can find others to work alongside to tackle a problem together, I think the path to success often becomes easier and that much more rewarding. Um, so I, I try to think about it that way, you know, a positive mindset, um, rem remembering that there are others around me who can help me with my own personal challenge and overcoming it, but also maybe to tap into this network of people who might be, you know, the greatest co-advocates uh, with you to to tackle something together. So those are the different ways and strategies that I've employed over the years to avoid feeling held back by, by challenges. Thank you for sharing. As somebody who also identifies as an optimistic realist, I very much relate <laughs> to everything that you've just said. Um, this leads well into the next question. In what ways do you think challenges can be beneficial? Esther, how would you answer that? I love what Nana said earlier, you know, to recalibrate, to pivot, to adjust and adapt. I think we've all had to do that in, in various ways over the past year, uh, if not all our lives. But I think, you know, challenges in that way sort of trigger and catalyze our inner creativity and problem solving skills. I think they force us also to think critically uh, about the status quo, whether about ourselves, whether about others or certain situations, instead of just taking those things for granted, which I think is highly progressive and important um, to, to um, achieve changes that we, we find necessary in our society. And I think the process of breaking through challenge also builds resiliency uh, and wisdom for the next one that's inevitably to come. And when I see either you know, unjust barriers being broken or personal challenges being overcome, when I hear stories about that, it's inspiring. And it reminds me that there's so much potential in all of us. And if, we've, if, if given that opportunity to exercise that potential and to use it to grow, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I think that's the positive spin to what a challenge would be in our lives. And I should also say that challenging others is hugely beneficial as well. Um, you know, the, the Choose a Challenge theme for International Women's Day this year, I think was, is awesome because we, we do need to do that. We need to challenge harmful stereotypes, biases, inequality um, in order for us to push for a more just, just society. And, um, and so I think in, in that way, challenges can be really beneficial. I couldn't agree more. Nina, what do you think? Why do you think challenges can be beneficial? Oh, I, I absolutely love Esther's answer, I have to say. Um, there's so much there that just really resonated with me and, and, I, and I really strongly agree with, um, you know, especially your, your point, you know, about teaching you resilience. You know, you grow to understand what you're capable of when you're challenged, but you also grow to understand your boundaries um, and, and what you're willing to, what you will and you will not accept. Um, and that can also drive you to then continue to challenge other things. Um, you know, challenges are data. When something doesn't go right and it doesn't go according to plan, it's, it's still giving you data. Okay, what went wrong? Um, why did it go wrong? How do we feel about that? How can we change that? Would, would we do it again? If so, what would we do different, if, differently? I mean, that's a very simplified way of looking at it, obviously. Um, but also the point that you made around, you know, challenges sort of, teaching understanding. They can be great teaching empathy and understanding. You know, every person faces their own challenge of some sort or another throughout their lifetime. And by having your own and facing your own challenges, you can often understand others better too, um, either through shared or similar challenges, experiences or different ones. All the support networks that can grow from 
from facing your challenges you know and, and as different as we all are sometimes people can really come together by seeing that someone we would never have imagined has lived through a similar experience to your own or has similar feelings or fears or concerns and on the other hand there are so many people out there that, that have faced challenges that I, I couldn't even begin to understand and it's in part through listening to those challenging experiences that we can each become better advocates for each other um, and also by sharing mine I hope that that can encourage other people to better advocate for others such as myself. Again that's why conversations like this are just so important and why I'm very pleased to be a part of it even just listening because there is a lot of commonality in you know between us even though we've all lived very 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 different lives so thank you both for, for sharing that. Um, I want to then go to what is the last proper question that I wanted to ask you both, which is what one thing do you want people to think about during and moving on from International Women's Day and just this period of celebrating women? Esther, what are your thoughts on that? I'd like people to remember that, uh, you know, that while great strides have been made in recognizing and celebrating women generally in many societies, we can't be complacent or accept that this is good enough. Um, I think we, we all need to join in and bringing parity to all spheres of our society, whether it's in our workplaces or families and government and communities all over the world. So for maybe, you know, the, the, the reason why International Women's Day is important to us, what we've said at the outset, is the same reason why we need to continue having it in the future and being reminded of that even past, uh, you know, the actual date of celebration itself, uh, to, to think about how can we all contribute and participate in bringing um, gender parity and equity uh, into places where we can make a difference and where we are agents of influence, whether we know it or not. And um, when I say we, I really do mean all of us, um, not just women and not just, you know, you and I, but, but people um, all over the world really do have a part to play. And um, that's something that is more than one thing, um, but that's something that I would like people to think about uh, moving on from International Women's Day. They can be multiple <laughs> things that you want people to take away from. I mean, there's so many different things about women. Why should there just be one thing? I almost want to take away my own question and change it. So, Leda, <laughs> I want to ask you, what things do you want people to think about during <laughs> and moving on from International Women's Day? For, for me, Primarily, it's the intersections of women throughout society, always, always. The, the lived experience of women is not homogenous. I am black and I'm a woman, but I'm also able-bodied and I'm cis-hurt. You know, I, I, will, I will not understand the lived experience of a black queer woman or a black disabled woman. And it's about understanding that there are so many diverse and wonderful stories of women to be shared. But also there are so many nuanced and obviously different challenges that women around the world face with difficult and often uncomfortable stories and they all need a voice and they all need a platform and it takes nothing away from you to share the microphone and to help other women and as Esther said in that I include men too you know and the more that I learn about someone else's lived experience the richer my life becomes because you know I find I find other women fascinating and um, yeah I just thought we should really share that. I absolutely echo finding other women fascinating in this very moment. I have had the pleasure of listening to you both share things. And although you've not heard me, I have been clapping and applauding and snapping my fingers the whole time. Because, you know, in a moment like this, I feel very seen. And I hope a lot of our listeners echo those feelings. Even, you know, Nina, earlier when you spoke about dating apps. And it's, normally we, we don't speak about ourselves holistically. But I've seen some of those stats. 
And it's something like over 80% of people sometimes show a bias against, you know, black women or people of certain ethnicities. And if we heard 80% of teachers showed a bias against certain students or 80% of doctors, you know, they, we'd be having certain conversations. But there's times where we're often asked to dismiss you know, certain parts of our identities or, you know, put ourselves in pockets to only talk about one thing at a time. But we are complex beings. And so I really, really appreciated hearing you talk about a really wide range of parts of your lives, your families, your parents, your jobs. And I really hope a lot of people feel that they've benefited from hearing about you. I do want to end with one sort of lighter question. I always like to end everything with one slightly lighter question. Um, So what is your favourite book written by a woman author? Nina, let's start with you, please. Um, so I, I think I settled on Americana by Chimamanda Adichie. Love that book. Love that mm. book. It's a wonderful choice, and you can't go wrong with Chimamanda. How about you, Esther? So I'm a huge fan of short stories. So any anthology containing a short story by um, Joyce Carol Oates uh, would be uh, what I what my answer would be. She's written hundreds of short stories, poems, essays, novels, a beautiful way with words. Um, Highly recommend her. Another really great choice. I've heard a lot about her, although I've not read any of her works and I've been meaning to, so this is very much a prompt for me to to do so. Thank you both for sharing. As much as I've talked about the similarities and the ways in which I can relate to both of you, it's also a reminder that even though we have points of connection, We also all have very different experiences and very different things to contribute to both Clifford Chance and this environment here, but to the spaces which we occupy and to always be aware of the fact that everybody's always coming from different places, experiencing different things. And even in the same place and space, having a different experience of that. And so for me, it's been really interesting to see the ways in which we can connect in the common ground, but the ways in which we all have something very different to offer And we all see very different things and take very different things away from moments and situations. So thank you both for sharing. It's been really insightful to be a part of this. And thank you both for joining me today. I hope our listeners have really enjoyed this as much and enjoyed celebrating International Women's Day with us. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance Careers podcast. If you enjoyed this, you may be interested in listening to some of our past episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on future episodes coming soon. To find out more about working at Clipper Chance, please visit the careers section of our website.